All right, we're continuing our series on the life of David, looking at how David uh, gives us a window into what it looks like to be secure uh, under a king's rule. Uh, so we're going to look at 2 Samuel 9. It's page 260 in your pew Bibles. If you want to flip there, art should be on the screens. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king says, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Macher, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Macher, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I'll show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show, show regard for a dead dog such as I? <clears throat> then the king called Ziba. Saul's servant and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I've given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. First of all, a precursor. So uh, about two, maybe two and a half years ago, uh, when I worked with RUF, um, Maria sermon was on this text, and when uh, we were walking through life, Dev, I was like, "Les, I've already preached on this." And Les said, "Here's good news: nobody remembers what you said two years ago." So, I'm banking on that. Uh, there are some things changed, but if some of this sounds familiar, uh, we're walking back through it again. Uh, but here's what I want you to think about: um, if you've ever watched the documentary on uh, the country megastar uh, Garth Brooks, it's called "This Road I Am." I'm on this road. I'm on. At the end, you'll see an amazing scene because what happens, right? You have maybe the most, at least one, arguably one of the most popular, uh, wealthiest country singers of all time. He is doing a concert at a packed out Staples Center in Los Angeles. And he finishes that concert and he goes right off the stage and he's waiting in this room off to the right to wait the encore like happens every time now. And there is a lady who just happens to be there who, right, is in just normal vendor clothes. She's been selling food and drink. And she, he kind of appears and kind of startles. And they, they have this little conversation. And she just says, what's it like to be on a stage where everyone is cheering for you? And he all of a sudden grabs her by the hand and he says, let's go find out. And he pulls her up on stage, right? There she is in her like Staples Center vendor uh, clothing. And he says to the crowd, I want you for the next few minutes to treat her, I can't remember her name, as if she's me. And everybody just starts screaming and going nuts. And then he sings a song with her standing there, right? 
And after the song, Garth says, all right, time to go. And she replies, what if I don't want to? (laughs) And he says, now you know what it's like, right? And so, you know, when you see that, there's a lump that comes in your throat. When you hear it, you laugh and you smile. Why? You know why? Because when you, anytime you have a, a person of kind of great success or great renown or great power come to practically what the world would consider a nobody, somebody who's just selling food and drink at Staples Center, and yet, and yet in an act of kindness that he didn't have to do, Garth didn't have to do that, he elevates her to experience what he knows, to, to kind of receive the riches and the renown that he's already experienced. And it's so moving because he didn't have to do that, right? And you think about, do you think that woman still tells this story at parties? All the time, like all the time. Because I guarantee you it kind of transformed her. And so as we, as we keep studying our, the life together, this account of David with Mephibosheth, it's going to show you that David has an incredibly kind heart. It's, it's a kind heart for nobodies. And if you know the kindness of David's heart and you know it's a reflection of the heart of Jesus, you will find that actually brings real security. And so three things. We're going to look at uh, the king's kindness, to the, uh, how it goes to the unlikely. And then we're going to look at uh, the king's kindness and how it brings a new identity and the king's kindness and how it trans, uh, brings transforming security. So those three things. First, the king's kindness goes to unlikely. All right, who is Mephibosheth? Why this story? Two things. Give me, give me just a second for background. First, if you were with us last week, Les covered, us, covered it. And if not, that's okay. Uh, just two chapters back, God shows up to David and it receives incredible kindness from God. God tells David that he will never remove his love from the household of David. And he makes a promise that through David's lineage, essentially this is what he says, is that Jesus will come. It's not that clear in there, but that the promised Messiah will come. And if David is supposed to be a king that reflects to the watching world what God as king is like, then then right after that account, what does David do? David goes and finds somebody to show that kind of kindness to, to display what the king of this universe is like. And he does it by remembering a promise that he made to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel 20. Um, if If you remember, it's okay if you're not, Jonathan is the son of Saul, who was the previous king. And, and David, and he's one of David's best friends. And David had promised Jonathan that he would remember him and continue to show love to Jonathan's family. And that's the background. So in the timeline of scripture, this is where we find ourselves. David has just received an amazing act of kindness from the Lord. And he wants to display that kindness to someone else through a promise to Jonathan. And so in verse one, right, he looks for someone's in Saul's house, someone for Jonathan's sake that he may show kindness to. And he's told there's someone that actually fits that category. There's only one person left and his name is Mephibosheth. Now, all you need to know is three details about Mephibosheth to understand who he is. First, this is why he's so unlikely of a candidate. First, he's lame in both feet. His nurse actually dropped him when he was young. You can read about that in other places. But that means he is a crippled person. And in today's world, it's hard, it's hard to live in, in a world um, uh, handicapped in some ways. And we have all kinds of laws that, that assist. But in the ancient Near East days, 
Like someone with Mephibosheth's condition was completely dependent on other people. So he would have been considered, I'm not saying this right, but he would can be considered a burden, right? Because he couldn't produce. He only took. So he is helpless. Second of all, the name Mephibosheth literally means seething dishonor or immense shame, right? How's that for a name? And that, which means probably, right, this was given to him later to kind of encapsulate what his life was like. But that's, that's what his life is like. Saul, he's the heir of Saul who ends up being a disaster of a king. And so he's the last heir of an embarrassing period in Israel's history. He just doesn't matter in the world's eyes. He's, he's ashamed. And third, he's actually an enemy. Right, if you notice two things about his interaction with David, when he first comes to David in verse six, he falls to the ground and goes prostrate. We think, well, that's probably just a sign of honor and maybe it's some of that. But David has to say, do not fear. Why? Well, in verse 8, right, Mephibosheth is afraid when he's called to David's place. And he's afraid because he assumes that he's a dead man, right? That's why he calls himself a dead dog later. Why does he assume he's a dead man? Because the way that every kingdom works in those days, and there's still some that work this way today, is if there was an old regime in power and you become the new king, guess how you make sure that there's no threat of the old king coming back? You kill all the descendants. And so Mephibosheth literally has been hiding out. And so when he is told, David wants to see you, he's bringing you to his palace, Mephibosheth probably rightly thinks, this is it, I'm done. So Mephibosheth's resume, it's not pretty. He is helpless, full of shame, and an enemy to the king. And it's that man who gets extravagant kindness from King David. A nobody. Somebody who literally has nothing to offer David gets showered with kindness. What's the point of that? I'd say two things. First, two of my friends, they'll remain, remain lameless to protect them. I never want my friends to say that I'll use them in illustration. We'll call them Tom and Frank. Here's actually how they became friends. Uh, it's like in kindergarten... And uh, Tom did something that he shouldn't have done. And he knew that if it was discovered, his name was going was gonna to be put on the board, which is horribly embarrassing, right? So he didn't really know Frank, but Frank had seen what he had done. So what Tom did is went to Frank and said, Frank, if you don't tell the teacher what I did, I'll invite you over to my house to play. Brilliant, kids. Brilliant, right? And he didn't tell, and he invited him over to his house. Now, was that a kind act by Tom? Not really. <laughs> All it was was self-preservation. All it was was trying to, I'll do this for you so that I don't get the consequences, right? But see, because it's Mephibosheth, someone who literally can offer nothing to David, someone who doesn't bring anything to the table, you could actually argue that Mephibosheth is a threat or really all it's going to do is cost David something. Because it's Mephibosheth, that actually reveals something about David's heart, doesn't it? That there's extravagant kindness there. It's like the old adage, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him or her. And so that's, that's one thing. But the second aspect is this. David is trying to represent to us and to his people 
what God is like. And David is actually here giving us a window into the extravagant kindness of the Lord of this universe. And so when you think about Mephibosheth, that he's helpless, that he's full of shame, that he's an enemy. I'm not saying I know what the Apostle Paul had in his mind when he wrote Romans 5, talking about who we are. But it sure sounds like Mephibosheth. Listen to this. He says, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? That all of us are Mephibosheths. And that's who Christ died for. If you're here this morning wondering what Christianity is about, here it is. It's about the king of this universe who is looking to show extravagant kindness and love, not to good people, not to people who have all these things to kind of barter God with and, and, and do things for him. He brings love, kindness, and salvation exclusively to those who are not worthy of it exclusively to those who really have nothing to offer but our own weakness, our own sin, and we actually deserve to be his enemies. Which means you will only know the kindness of God if you see yourself as Mephibosheth. And that's really hard. That's really hard because we, we tend to think that my weakness, the things that are embarrassing about me, my shame, my sin is what is going to keep me from Jesus. But Mephibosheth, yeah, I knew I'd mess it up. Still doing better than you, James Harper. Uh, Mephibosheth is showing us that actually the things that have wrecked our life, the things we hide, those are the very places that show Jesus' extravagant kindness to us if we'll reveal them. So that really does mean if you find yourself helpless and hopeless this morning, there's good news. Like God loves Mephibosheths. If you see yourself as weak, spiritually help, helpless, get ready to be amazed by the kindness of King Jesus. This is who he is. So first, Mephibosheth shows us that God's kindness goes to the most unlikely. But second of all, the king's kindness gives a new identity, right? Okay, remember Mephibosheth in the line of Saul. So in those days, he just normally would have been he normally would have been slaughtered. But, God had made, but uh, David had made a promise to Jonathan that he would love uh, his lineage. So if all that David did was spared the life of Mephibosheth, that would have been extremely gracious in those days. That would have, have been amazing. But he doesn't do that. He goes so much further, right? He makes Mephibosheth wealthy by giving back uh, Saul's land to him. He provides Ziba and these servants to work the land for Mephibosheth because he can't do it and that provides a, con a constant income for him. So he doesn't just spare Mephibosheth's life. He actually turns his poverty into riches and he makes an enemy a friend. It's extravagant. But the one aspect of David's kindness that gets repeated three times, which I think means it's supposed to be our focus, is, the fa is this fact. Mephibosheth, the name that means shame is going to sit at the king's table every day. That he is going to eat with the king just like the rest of the sons. And just who else would have been there is all of David's mighty men and all the people who have achieved great things for David. That's where Mephibosheth's going to be. And so he, Mephibosheth, David is saying, you are no longer going to be identified as a weak, 
helpless enemy, your identity is you are going to be like a son of the king. You're going to be treated like royalty, honored and loved by him so that everybody sees it. That's who you are, Mephibosheth. Now, you know, I've used some examples before, but like Disney has made so much money on this, on this uh, truth because we all want it and because it rings in line with the truth of the gospel. You can always pick any movie, but pick Cinderella. This is what happens in Cinderella, especially the live version, which is actually better than the cartoon, right? Cinderella actually means woman of ash. And she takes that on to herself because that's what her stepsisters call her. Because after her dad dies, she gets excluded. She has to do the uh, slaves work. She has to clean out the chimney. They degrade her. They make fun of her. And so she is woman of ash. And yet something happens, right? The whole glass slipper, the whole midnight. And a prince comes looking for her. And I'm telling you, the live version is the best. She stands outside. She knows she's about to walk in. She's about to see this prince who she's danced with, who has the glass slipper, and she's nervous because she doesn't look like she used to. And she walks in, and he looks at her, and he kind of recognizes her. She said, what's your name? And you know what she says? She says, Cinderella, woman of ash. She owns it. And he marries her. And immediately, you know what happens? Her identity changes. No longer is she woman of ash. No longer is she the one degraded by stepsisters. She's royalty. She's wealthy. She's adored in the kingdom. It's a new identity. David gives Mephibosheth a new status, a new identity. And I would dare to suggest it was so big. It was so amazing. It disenfranchised him from everything else that used to uh, be his identity. Enemy, helpless, useless, whatever you thought it was. And it, remember, David's kindness to Mephibosheth is just a window into the heart of God's kindness towards his people. And so if you think David's extravagant kindness towards Mephibosheth is something, you haven't seen anything yet. Because if you keep following the story of Scripture, it points you to Jesus. And Jesus loved this world so much that he came into it, not for good people, not for people that could do all these awesome things for him, but for a bunch of Mephibosheths. And as we're united to him by faith, he goes onto a cross. And do you know where, like, it makes no sense. The place where the extravagant kindness of the God of this universe is most seen is on a cross. As he bleeds out for my sin and your sin and gets covered in our shame. And then he's resurrected. So that in him, you get a new, you're not just forgiven. You get a new identity. You're clean. You're in the family of God. You're honored. That's who you are. And that is your status, whether you feel it or not. I'm sure there were days that Mephibosheth did not feel it, but it was true. And there are days that we don't feel it if you're in Christ. And it's still true. And some of you this morning, you cannot get over things that you've done in your past. They still haunt you. And we say things like, well, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. If you are in Christ, it does not matter that you can't forgive yourself. Jesus has. That's all that matters. And you need to let Jesus' opinion of yourself reign higher than your own opinion of yourself. The, your past sin is not your definition anymore. You are a new creation. You are clean. 
Others of you, there's ways that you've been really sinned against. It might be abuse. It might be other things. And that leaves a scar. It leaves a scar because something that's done to you that is not your fault, but it makes you feel worthless. It makes you feel dirty. And you need to know that in Christ, that is not who you are. You are child of the king. You are his and he loves you. And that brings a new identity if you've been horribly sinned against. And all of us that live in Oxford, this isn't like a new thing, but all of our identity just bends towards our successes or failures, whether that's family or, or business or other people's opinion. And that leaves a mark. But Jesus' extravagant kindness, most seen as death resurrection, means that he brings a new identity no matter how much you've succeeded or failed in those places. That's how real it is. And so we've seen the unlikely uh, recipient is a guy named Mephibosheth. And we see this extravagant kindness. Yes, does all kinds of things, but ultimately it brings a new identity. I just want to end by talking about the transforming security that that kindness brings to Mephibosheth. Because I want you to think about this. Mephibosheth has to be the freest man at David's table. right? Because the people that are there are David's sons who, like it or not, there is pressure on them to show the world uh, what King David is like. And actually, there's people like Absalom who are incredibly handsome and all these kind of things, right? So they're, they're living up to, having to live up to, to Israel's best king. And the other people that are there are like David's mighty men and these other people that have achieved great things. Mephibosheth, he's unbelievably free of that. He, he can't even fight in battle. He hasn't done anything great. <laughs> He's not technically David's son. He's just there because of David's promise that will never go away. He's the freest man at the table. It doesn't matter what he does tomorrow. It doesn't matter how he fails. He, he's just there, and he'll be there the next day no matter what. And that's actually not true. David's son's Absalom will not be at his table in a while after, after what he does. But Mephibosheth is there simply because of sheer grace. He didn't earn it. Here's what that means. He can't unearn it either. He'll always be there. He is utterly secure. So um, uh, Judy Howard Peterson, um, she uh, was a young lady doing her internship at uh, North Park Theological Seminary, and she completed it by walking 4,000 miles across the U.S. from Washington to Key Biscayne, Florida. She's a believer, and after right that 4,000-mile that track that took who knows how long, Somebody asked her, okay, so in this internship, you know, to complete seminary, what, did, what two things did you learn theologically? She said, first, she learned, I'm just as loved by God when I'm in the middle of a field doing nothing as when I follow the productivity standards of this world. And that should sound healing to most of us. What is it about God's extravagant kindness that he loves me just as much when I'm doing nothing as when I'm being really productive? She discovered that, right, in these wildernesses when she couldn't do anything. And then she said, second of all, for all its beauty, all its beauty and, and all of its wondrous things, South Dakota doesn't have anybody living there. That was the other thing. Um, so think about what she just said, that I learned that it is not my productivity that makes God love me. And she found a, she found a freedom in that. And that's the transformation offered to you that brings a real security. 
And one of the ways that you know that that kind of security is starting to transform you is it actually will move you towards people like David moved towards Mephibosheth. It'll move you towards people that don't matter in the world's eyes. People who can't do something for you. So Christianity really is being displayed when you start serving and being friends with people that cost you time, that cost you energy, people who don't understand you, people who are in need of mercy, because when I see those people, I see myself before the king of this universe who showered me with with, uh, extravagant kindness. So one of the best apologetics for Christianity in today's world, you know what I think it is? I think it has always been the case. But it's actually loving and serving enemies. The world has no explanation for that. And we dream about this here in Christ's presence. What if Christ's presence more and more could be a place that people who normally would not be friends became friends here because of Jesus? People of different races, people of different economic classes, uh, people from former religions, but all because of Jesus and that security actually found themselves friends. There is no natural explanation for that. It's supernatural. But the other thing, and I'll end here, the security that gets brought because of the extravagant kindness of David to Mephibosheth and God's kindness to us, I think it's shown, right, verse 13, I find it fascinating that the, the story ends, it wants to let you know that Mephibosheth is still lame in both feet. Which means after all that David did for him, he still had problems. He still had things in his life that needed to be healed and that he wished would go away. Though he had a new status, though he had a new honor, though he knew David's kindness, he still was continuing with things that were wrong with his body. And I just love that that's there. Because if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know that a new status comes to me in Christ, but there's still a lot wrong that's wrong with me. It might be suffering in my life. It might still be sin struggles in my life. But it doesn't change the fact that David's kindness for him was real and that Jesus' love for you is still real. And so maybe, of course, only God knows exactly what he's doing. But could it not be that the reason that God has not snapped his fingers today and healed every bit of suffering and healed all all of our sin it's because those are the very things that keep you like Mephibosheth, realizing that every day is a day of God's mercy, that every day I need his forgiveness, that every day I need his righteousness, and that somehow those things suffering and even my struggle with my present sin are driving me deeper into the love and kindness of Christ. God loves us too much to let us speak about sin as if it's some past event in my life. Because he wants you to realize repentance is the way. Today is another day I get to experience his kindness. Right? Isn't that when you love, right? When True Red comes up and gives the elder prayer, True Red, who's just a little bit older than us, will still look at you and say, I'm True Red, a sinner saved by grace. And you're like, yes, yes. That's the humility I want. A man who, who realizes God has been extravagantly kind to him. And so I love that Mephibosheth has not been fully healed because that means Jesus' kindness to you doesn't mean that all of your suffering ends and that the presence of sin is gone. You're still dependent on him. 
but you can still know his kindness. So this is my offer. Do you know this kind of king? A king who pours himself out, not just by a new identity, by sitting at the table, but brings you to the table of King Jesus by his life and death. Because if you realize you need that, well, keep coming. That means you're a believer. It means, it means you're one who needs mercy. And that's who Jesus showed up for. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this uh, story that probably um, in the grand scheme of things all over Israel, it probably didn't seem like that big of a deal. Uh, this little no-name Mephibosheth comes and eats at the table. But you wanted that recorded for us. You wanted us to see it uh, so that we would get a, a small picture of the kindness of Jesus. Would you bring us to, to see that, to receive that, and to be able to say, no matter what's going on in our life, we are in Christ. You have been exceedingly gracious to us. That would be worth it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>